0: Morning. Morning. Thanks for inviting me. Um, Len Ramsey, as Danny said, I uh, grew up in Missoula. Don't take that bad. Went to U of M. Don't take that bad. And oh, good. There's one grizzly still here. Good. And uh, I, uh, I didn't get into med school the first time I tried. I succeeded in everything in my life, you know. And, and that was a real big blow. Um, but during the two years I was waiting to reapply to med school, I got saved through a campus ministry at U of M. And um, in the long run, I kind of feel like God wanted me to be a Christian doc rather than just a doc. And uh, during that prayer in chemistry pharmacy building, uh, room 109, when I prayed to accept the Lord, I said, God, please don't send me to Africa as a missionary because I don't think I could handle that. And uh, Seven years, eight years later, after I got done with med school and residency, that's the only thing I could think about doing for about 25 years. So if we weren't on the mission field, we were trying to figure out a way to get on the mission field. And uh, God's released us from that now, or at least in my heart. But what I thought I'd do is, is take you guys to East Africa today. Um, with just a little bit of preface uh, meat, Danny said that the, um, the theme kind of was how to live out your faith. And I'm not sure I'd do that any better than any other Christian, but God can do that through you. And um, he, he certainly put on my heart to be in Africa as a missionary for a long time. And um, that's kind of what I'd like to share with you guys. So without a lot of ado, I've got a ton of slides. And um, we're going to go to East Africa, both Kenya and Tanzania, if, if that's Okay interrupt me at any point ask questions uh, throw things at me whatever you like to do and um, Then when it's all done Danny, would you tell me about 1145? So that we can uh, pray and just answer any questions you have we good so far All right good. Oh there it is that's that's Queenie and uh, some of her cubs um, lived out on the plains close to where we were for the first four years of our ministry in, uh, in uh, Kenya at a big hospital called Tenwick uh, under African Gospel Church. And we worked with the tribes, Kipsigis primarily, and this is a Mase lady, we worked with them as well, although they lived more remotely. And you know, this gal looks pretty darn cleaned up considering she has no power, no running water, lives in a mud and dung hut and that's their little kiddo. They don't even name their kiddos until they're two because so many of them die that they don't want to get attached to them. So this kid must be age two or more because he got his hair cut, and they don't cut their hair until they're about two either. Now rem- remember, I started this whole thing about 25, 26, 27 years ago. So these are uh, some of these are really old pictures. The roads were not uh, wonderful. You will note that we have lots of help And we were in the middle of nowhere. We were in a rainforest in the middle of nowhere. And people just kind of appear, and they do help you out. If you're not a mechanic, when you're still on the mission field, you will be when you get done. Throw a bearing in the old Land Rover needed replaced, and there you are. Oh, these guys, 37 almost and 35 um, years old now, and have their own kids. So this was a long time ago. That's a Kenyan sawmill where we were living. And that's a picture of the hospital that we worked at um, for the first four years of our ministry. Tenwick had no power uh, up to that area. Oh, I would say the eastern third of, uh, or the western third of Kenya didn't have any power. So Billy Wayne Fuller had built this dam in the late 80s, and uh, it provided power through a single generator for the hospital. You can't really run a hospital without consistent power. It just can't be done. They had a big... Diesel engine backup. OB Ward, one of many wards at this hospital, and um, tapeworm. I called down to Cindy one morning, doing rounds on OB. Some poor hapless uh, lady had passed this tapeworm, and said, "Send the kids up." And I gave them gloves. Look at that. See, they have gloves on. Uh, the the girl in second from the right is not mine, but the other three are my kids. This is a little baby with an amebicale. It's a it did not seal its cranium at the back. Oh, I've got some really gruesome pictures. Are you guys okay with those? Okay, good, good. Anyway, um, and unfortunately, in this environment, there's not a whole lot that this is gonna ha- that's gonna happen back 25 years ago. This guy has a lymphoma, and the reason these are so dramatic is they've been neglected. He had no health care, and uh, finally ended up at Tenwick. Who knows how far he traveled, um, too late. This guy has squamous cell cancer in his face. It's rotted through into his sinus, you can see there. Again, it's something we would never see in this country because we don't let things get neglected that much. This guy has a sarcoma of his shoulder, and uh, I tell you, you could smell him clear across the hospital, and he died about two or three hours after this picture was taken. The, um, The infection in the bone that this kid has is so common. Osteomyelitis, we call it, and you would see pus, and you'll see more pictures of of that um, later on. You'd see pus coming out of these guys' skin, sinuses, and if you opened them and drained them, you could facilitate improvement. He's got a really crooked leg, and it's probably never gonna be straight, but I'll bet he'll bear weight eventually in the long run. Oh, we even pulled a few teeth on the Maasai Plains. That picture's to remind me to tell you that Tenwick hospital has just really grown over the past um, 25 years. It's now a, got a surgical residency, a family practice residency, a CT scanner, and all kinds of stuff. Electricity has arrived. It's not very uh, reliable, so the dam still works. Um, then the last four or five year, five or six years that we spent on the field, we actually came home, got the kids through the rest of school, and married off and some grandkids, and then we went back to uh, Tanzania. And this is a picture of Tanzania. You would land in Dar es Salaam. That's where the planes went in. And the Doma is the uh, capital of the country politically. Um, and Tabora is important because I could get jet fuel there, and Kigoma is where we lived. On the, it's about 1,000 miles. And um, this was not a... Um, mission that was under African gospel or another big organization. It's kind of something we started with YWAM and that didn't work out. And then we, uh, kind of put something together ourselves. That is Adanath and Adanath is a nurse midwife that, um, worked with me the whole five, six years we were in Tanzania. She's bilingual. She knows her stuff and she is a joy and her smile tells it all. Um, And that's my wife, Cindy. She was teaching at a Bible college that was part of the ministry that we uh, did. And that's a helicopter that I got to fly for those five years. So part of this whole deal was training to be a pilot and fly a a Bell jet ranger. And that is a boat that is supposed to be part of the ministry. It's gonna come up and Lake Tanganyika is about 450 miles long and it's gonna course this lake and it won't fit through that bridge even though everything was suspects. the bridge is not. So the boat stayed there for about four or five days while they tore the top off the bridge, (laughs) and they lost the only crescent wrench they had in the water, and, you know, we just, so many shillings for the first guy that brings up the crescent wrench, and everybody dove in the water, and and somebody brought up the crescent wrench. Anyway, it finally got up to um, Kigoma, And it's moored kindly in the uh, military mooring spot in Kigoma. And um, forgive me, because I can't remember names very well, but this guy ended up being the captain of the boat. And uh, it is plying up and down the lake now, taking students, such as yourself, and goods, and uh, other evangelical things along the lake. The helicopter um, turned out to be custom made for this part of the country. Every city, every village has a um, soccer field, and that's a great place to land. So this is uh, during um, an outreach. You know, sometimes we just camp out next to the helicopter. What the heck? Worked pretty good on your good. There was jet fuel available in Kagoma because there was a commercial flight sometimes that came in and out. So we had jet fuel for the the helicopter. We had to do all the maintenance on the helicopter. These guys are from South Africa. WUI was that expensive. About 85% of our total budget for this helicopter every year went to maintenance. We'd bring these guys up. We'd fly across to Dar es Salaam. We'd use up 18 hours of our allotted 100 hours between uh, maintenance. But I learned a bunch, and they let me work with them. And um, I went out to, to do a pre-flight one day. There was a twin that was hung up. Number one was out. Number two wasn't out down the shore, and we are going to fly down and get her. And... Uh, this bearing had shot. Um, so I had grease. It, it's the main, one of the two end bearings of the main drive shaft. I had grease all over the place. And for some reason, Joe had taught me just a few weeks earlier during a maintenance, if you get grease all over the place, this bearing shot, and if you fly, you're going to crash. So I didn't fly. And she came down by some kind of boat, and she did well as an as a end of the story. But um, kind of God's providence that he would teach me to, Kind of do that stuff anyway um, so joe came up and fixed it for us over time all these things took a long time this is a little itty bitty village it's not on the map called buhingu not to be um confused with buhungu which you will see down the road these people were all kind of high on pot type stuff and they lived in a crook of a corner of the river and they drank out of the river which is full of yuck and they didn't have any health care and they didn't have any immunizations and we just kind of made a relationship and started. It's a two-day trip by boat and walking to get to that village. It's a 35-minute flight. So we got to the point where we kind of do regular clinics there. And um, yeah, they were scared to death of me initially, but then they kind of got used to it and found that on the door of one of the little huts one day. It's kind of fun. And, I'm trying to figure out why I threw this picture in. It's a different village, but it's just typical of any outreach you do medically. People just throng in. Um, The outreach is usually started at a local pharmacy. And there were three in Kigoma. And you'd buy local uh, meds. Generally, they were pretty adequate for the things you saw. And you'd sort and do pill popping parties, which were great fun. Hey, Danny. Dr. Ramsey, can I ask you a question? Yeah. When you went to places like Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So as I mentioned, Adneth always went with us. So she's the bilingual one, and she not only spoke Swahili, which was, and I spoke a little Swahili, just enough to get into trouble. So um, Adneth would be our translator. She also spoke the local dialect, which is a tribal language. So that's how we communicated. And we took breaks during the clinics to um, just share the gospel and to tell people why we were there. But more than anything, um, it was our actions that really shared the gospel with them. We kept coming back and we kept coming back and they had trouble and we, we'd come back. And that I think is kind of the, the best way I minister to people is through what I did. Pill popping parties in America are very weird and you have trouble uh, getting parents to agree to that, but over there, they're, they're okay. <laughs> To go down the, the shore, a bulk of people, you get on a local boat. And um, oh, that one's a little cockamamie. Oh, no, it's all right. And this team went down with us, and we held um, a clinic. Uh, we would use a lot of the um, public, or the uh, government clinics. but They were run down and weren't staffed. So, but we'd use them as facilities. I'm sticking a needle in the bone of this little kid's leg. And you can see it sticking out of there she's so darn dry you can't get an iv in her but if you put what's called an interosseous needle in um, it works really really well so she had malaria and she needed hydrate and uh, she turned out to do really well but she looks kind of like a wet noodle laying there and that's the way she started out just some stuff that we would see on these that's the squamous cell cancer this kid's belly if you look carefully you can see little bumps His liver and spleen are humongo. He probably has a cancer, uh, Wilm's tumor. We're not gonna fix that out in the field. This guy has another omphalocele and the other little kid was on the back. This is on the front. He's also slow, he's simple. And this thing hangs in his vision, he can't see. It's really a mess. And to get this fixed, he has to go somewhere besides in Tanzania. Nobody around uh, is gonna tackle that. Guy has a lymphoma. Oh, that's my wife again, and she was my pharmacist. She knows absolutely nothing about drugs, nothing. And, uh, but she could speak enough Swahili to tell the mamas how to take, uh, give this to their kids. We would see all comers initially, and it got to the point where we were overwhelmed and uh, couldn't see everybody, so we started just seeing kids in and, and, and our outreaches. Um, this young man is now um, an orthopedic surgeon, or he's in a residency an orthopedic surgeon, and he's just checking for malaria. We had little test kits that you could use and found out that about 20% of the people that were worried they had malaria really had it. The rest of them just had colds or something. Um, and you had to be, pay attention to weight and balance whenever you flew the helicopter, and we had to take and the resistor. And Brecken is uh, Dr. Ray, um, Robinson's um, daughter adopted daughter he's a local dentist she was doing a study on um h pylori in the stomach turned out our test kits were awful so she got a whole bunch of negatives where she should get a bunch of positives and that's part of the life on the mission field too where the study was a waste of time this little old lady is a surgeon that grew up in the united kingdom and she comes and does things like cleft lips and fistulas if somebody's in labor and they there's a no fit situation the baby's head if you let it go long enough will erode a hole between the vagina and the bladder and then you get to pee out your vagina for the rest of your life and you're an outcast nobody's going to touch you and uh, she will fix those kind of things and i found out about her so we would transport you know in our outreaches we'd find things that needed to be fixed and we transport them whenever she showed up this is a young man who's had that cleft lip forever and she fixed him and that's uh, him in the helicopter when we took him back home. And we had an outbreak of, of uh, polio over in the Congo. It's about 40 miles across the lake. And there was a lot of worry that that was going to migrate over with the uh, illegal trade that goes on across the lake all the time. So this guy's from the World Health Organization. And we flew him and a whole bunch of other um, government uh, people around. They made a actually made a vaccine for this polio strain it was great we're back in bohingu and we vaccinated every kid that couldn't reach his ear now if you can reach your ear you're probably about five years old um are school age and then you don't need vaccinated anymore but we we vaccinated all the kids in about 15 minutes it was an oral vaccine it was done it was so much fun real quick this helicopter when we bought it we didn't realize it had a litter kit in it. What that doesn't mean for kiddies and litter, but what it means is you could stack two um, stretchers, one on top of the other. You jerk off the door and you stick the person in there. This lady um, was in labor. She'd ruptured her uterus. Her kid was dead and she was almost dead. And we were trying to get her to a facility that could manage that. Um, you make sure everything's all bolted down. She'd get all the players involved that's her sister and then Adneth, and start up and off you go about uh, five minutes before we arrived at um, harry hospital where we were taking her Adneth just said no and she died so to finish that up they won't bury a lady with a baby inside at just cal- kind of a cultural thing so we took her back to her home did a hysterotomy, you call it, I guess, C-section on her, got the baby out, and uh, then they would bury both her and the baby in separate graves. When we went to Harry, often it was like this. We couldn't get quite up to the hospital, so either you learned to fly in that stuff or you'd land and they'd come down and pick us up. There she is again, and this, is, uh, this time she helped me jerk a, a placenta out of this lady. Um, she had a retained placenta, was bleeding to death, and um, saved her life and got a few units of blood, she had a reaction to that, it was a mess, but anyway, she saved her life. This is Buhungu, which is a um, healthcare center down the, when the British owned Tanzania, they set up a great system of healthcare, it all had gone to pot, and so this health center, which was supposed to do C-sections and kind of be a little hospital for that lower part of the lake, was in disrepair, and that's kind of what it looked like in the operating room, and, we spruced it up a little bit and brought up a team brought down a team from Tenwick Hospital that did uh, eye surgeries. They did cataracts about two and a half percent or, or so or more of the uh, world is blind, and half those people are blind because of cataracts it's repairable. you can fix it. So these are guys operating on cataracts that's the team, how they got down the flew in a caravan. I can tell you right now it costs $8,000 to hire this caravan and get the team down and back because that was part of what we had to do for ministry. Um, there was a fueling for the helicopter. We dropped drums off in boats and, and you could use uh, compressed air off the compressor and, and uh, fuel up offsite quick. Here's how you do a cataract. You numb the eyeball by sticking a big old needle under it. And then you pull out the lens, and you can see that up there. That, that's a cataract lens, just opaque. And, uh, and all these people have patches over their eyes overnight. <laughs> Isn't that cool? And then the next morning, you pull those patches off, and they can see. And we had one mama in a different location. We did like four of these uh, cataract outreaches. She had not seen for 15 years. And we pulled off her patch, and she started dancing. She was an old mama; she couldn't balance herself. She was like, whoa, going to fall over. She was so excited. She said, I have never seen my grandchildren. I've never seen them. When can you do my other eye? <laughs> anyway, Ligonia, she is a sweet lady that we, we met on one of our outreaches. You can see the pus draining out of her uh, pre-tibia down here. And, um, she had osteomyelitis, so we, we took her home. We took her up to Harry Hospital where the surgeon opened her up and drained her. We gave her antibiotics for months and she slowly, slowly healed up until she was all better. But she became a really good friend. She helped a lot with the ministry and it was kind of a sad day, not for her, but for us when we took her home. Um, but anyway, we, we said goodbye and she was off to her, her family. Oh, and Cindy, again, handing out uh, medicines. So she kind of became a regular on our uh, outreach trips. She was our pharmacist. Man, I whipped through that. You have to end every talk about Africa with baobab trees and a sunset. So that's that's why I did this. All right, you guys. What about now? I mean, I feel released from doing mission work, um, going to Africa anyway. So. How do you serve the Lord now? What do you? It, it's a it's a really great question, but um, I have the advantage of still practicing medicine. I work with an all Christian group. And Danny mentioned how Dr. Wheeler is one of my partners, and and uh, there are others that go here to church. Um, and I still think you can live out your faith. Um, for me, it's easier than maybe for other folks, just because of what I do you can still live out your faith and it doesn't mean sitting people down and twisting arms and grilling them but it means praying with them after their babies are born and it means praying with them before you do surgery on them and and just living like a christian and doing what you'll say you're what you say you're going to do and having integrity that really goes a long way so it's it's um the lord's going to take care of how you express your faith, but you can certainly express it in your, in your lives. Questions, answers, anything. I've told you this many stories out of a huge bunch of stories over a period of years. Danny. Go ahead, oh, I was gonna ask, what's the most, what was the most difficult aspect of being on the mission field for you? Oh some of the some of the really good things more than often you would have great partners other missionaries um, and you could live in a reasonably comfortable environment us americans were pretty good at that make showers and get power and this and that but the biggest problem was all the cultural changes and um, i had a pastor in kenya once say we're so glad you brought us the cross But it's really sad that it was all enclosed in your culture. And it's so different than our culture that we had to peel all that stuff away to get to it. And unfortunately, growing up in America, I'm never going to be a Kenyan or a Tanzanian. And that was probably the most challenging thing, is how can I interact with these people and I don't really know their culture. And you know, lived there a long time, and I still didn't get the culture hundred percent I don't think anybody ever would had a guy in Swaziland the very first place we went to that was born there grew up there he's a white guy he's a missionary kid he knew the language as well as it were better than they did and he still said I will never be a Swazi I just won't understand and that's that's a hard thing it makes one think well maybe we're better off sending money so that the local people the people that do understand the culture can be doing the ministry, and there's more and more of that happening instead of us going over. The problem is who's gonna fly a helicopter and provide healthcare? I mean, those, are poor, those people don't have a chance to learn those skills. Other questions? Yes? Were there established churches in any of the areas? Yes, yes, lots of churches. In Tanzania, the dominant religion was uh, Islam folk Islam, where we lived was the beginning of um, slavery, way, 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 way back. And um, Muslims had come to, to get the slaves. So if you said, I am a, I'm a Muslim, your chance of not being heart carted off as a slave was a lot better. So that had gone through the generations. There was a lot of Muslim, but it was all folk Muslim. These weren't radical people that were gonna bomb you or anything. They were just living a normal life saying that we're Muslims, perhaps. Um, but there were churches in almost all of the little villages, um, some sponsored by different ministries and some that spun out of those ministries. And people like our partners uh, with the work we did, that was their goal. They were planting churches and they were trying to get folks fired up. It was fun because in where we, the remote area we worked, we'd find places where they didn't have any churches. They never heard the gospel. And that was really kind of fun to bring that to them it's amazing that if you look at statistics more people percentage-wise claim to be christians in africa than america now and i don't you know they say christianity in africa is a mile wide an inch deep people don't go very deep but um, um, as things change there it's becoming more and more christian other questions Yeah, I did. Yeah. I read that when you're in Tanzania. Yeah, so um, just in the book there, they talk about you know, training others so that they can, you want the greater goal is to allow them to um, do these things on their own. Um, and then also in 2 Timothy, you have Paul telling um, Timothy, you can basically passing down the baton, and earlier you just talked about returning um, from your ministry and just kind of wondering like what was the process for you guys in terms of training and passing on the baton to the next? Yeah. To I, I honestly believe in missions now. That is the goal. And in that book he talked about inept missionaries that would come in and start an egg business and put the local egg business out of business and then nobody had eggs when they failed or they went home. Those kinds of things. Um, and I honestly believe, as we spoke earlier, having local, culturally tuned in people um, go for it are, are the, is a the way to go. The thrust was there was a Bible college as part of the ministry that we did, and our partners took care of that, and that's still going. Training folks um, and teaching them to spread the gospel, that's really a challenge in that society because grace in that society doesn't exist. And you try to think about Christianity without grace, and it is pretty obtuse. Uh, It doesn't work very well. Anyway, our thrust was, let's train these people up. And now they are moving down the lake into these remote villages, starting um, churches, those uh, young people are. They come back on a regular basis and get tuned up, tune-ups, and encouraged and revitalized, and they go back. So it's pretty cool. Our ministry, Adneth is carrying on. There have been some roads cut down the lake now. You can get access seasonally a little better than you used to be able to. And she's just keeping on plugging away at what we were doing, although to a smaller extent. Other questions? What was your and your wife's experience shop going to and then also home home? Yeah. Well, over, going over there... Um, the big thing is you always look over your shoulder. You never really feel like this is home. And you know you're never gonna get to understand the culture 100%. Knowing the language is a great first step. Cindy was better at it than I was. Um, but coming home was the great biggest culture shock. and. The first time we came home, we'd only been in Swaziland three months in eighty nine. She was gonna run into Albertson's and just I need some bread and eggs and milk and I'll be right back out. She came out with this shopping cart, like overflowing, and she said, You won't believe it in there. There's bright lights, there's ten of everything and I couldn't help myself. <laughs> and and that's the culture shock coming back. In realizing that we are a very minority in this world and we we consume a huge amount of the resources of this world. Um, and you know, for me to come back to medicine was hard. Um, there's huge changes in just a few years in medicine. And um, so culture shock was worse coming back. And then you kind of, okay, you get into the culture. The beauty is you don't have to look over your shoulder. We have a society based on trusting each other. Their society is based on not trusting each other. You don't trust anybody. And that's really hard. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. Kind of a, a follow-up to that question. When you came back, did you struggle with the American church culture at all? Was that hard for you? I know sometimes for a missionary. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of opens up a whole can of worms. The church culture over there, um, where we had fellowship and such, pretty darn legalistic. And... Um, that kind of rubs me the wrong way. And uh, so I didn't really struggle with that so much coming back here. Um, the, you can find churches in our society that are less legalistic, and, but over there, yeah, they're pretty much legalistic and that's, that's rough. Um, so I didn't have as much struggle coming back. It was actually a little more comfortable coming back to our churches over here. Yeah, rather than they're legalistic. And then if you don't go to a church that kind of has that box around it, you're, you're try, you are you're find yourself in a church where there's all kinds of wooey and voodoo and weird stuff going on, and you're kind of like, oh, this is strange. Um, yes, the power of the spirit is really, they're very spiritual people. Everything is spiritual, and that's the problem. Animism means everything's got some kind of spirit hook to it. Um, and to translate... Christianity into that type of uh, animism is really hard. So it was pretty natural for churches to have strange stuff going on. I hope that helps at all. It was, it was pretty bizarre, unless you stayed with a mainline church, and then it was pretty legalistic. Yeah. When you were overseas, did you ever have some kind of spiritual warfare that you could tell pretty confidently was Ooh, influences? Absolutely, especially between me and my wife. And, and uh, you know, that's pretty common here, too, but no, there were, there were times where we would just have to stop arguing and realize, holy smokes, this isn't us, this is principalities, and get on our knees and pray. And, and often that would be effective, not immediately, you know, but those issues that seem so big would, be, again, take on the right size. Um, I'll I'll share one, and I was just thinking about this this morning as I was thinking about the talk. Um, There was a time when we were sitting there, I can remember looking out the window and looking at the top of the house next door, and I can't even tell you what the issue was. So it wasn't very important. But my wife was saying, you need to fall into line in this issue or I'm going to leave. And that's a pretty big thing. Um, And I was thinking this morning, wow, you know, we've never even done that in America. Um, that was a pretty pretty unusual thing and that needed to be addressed with spiritual um, You know with prayer. Yeah sure. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right on and I think a lot of I Remember waking up in in Nairobi and thinking what have I done to my family? Why have I brought them over here? It's crazy and having times of depression where I was fixing up the Land Cruiser because it had been beat up on the roads or something and thinking, what am, what am I doing here? Yeah. Danny Dr. Ramsey, thank you so much for your time. It's time. We really do appreciate you making let, let me pray with you guys before we go, and, and we'll, we'll be done. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to, to get to know this group of young people just a little better. Lord... Um, it is these folks that represent the future of Christianity and not only in this country, but in the world. And um, we are so grateful that you will place it upon their hearts to get the theological background that is provided here. And we ask, father that those that are uh, intended to to go out and be missionaries would do so and, and just enjoy basking in um, your love over those years. Father, And uh, those that are intended to be missionaries here at home, that they would do that as well, Father. We thank you for this group, and we pray your blessing upon them in your son's name. Amen.